0: It's July 23rd. This is Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. Pete Sampson from The Athletic is joining us. And guys, we've got a few things to talk about here today. A little bit of Notre Dame recruiting. Um, the potential for the Notre Dame schedule is what I want to start with. It's our understanding that the ACC, in accordance with Notre Dame, is ultimately going to announce a delay to the start of the season till the end of September. Uh, we expect that to happen this week, but putting timetables on these kind of things is, is difficult to do. But we expect that to happen here in fairly short order. Uh, how that impacts Notre Dame's schedule, we'll get into that. Pete, you had an opportunity to do a couple interviews with Brian Kelly and Clark Lee. We want to talk about that. And then the Chance Tucker verbal commitment. But have you heard, Pete, first of all, anything about the delay of the season that I'm, that I'm talking about?
1: Uh,
2: no, I haven't. I mean, it's – I get the sense talking to people around Notre Dame that there's not an expectation they're going to play in the fall at all, um, which doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense to not delay until uh, you know, October, triple negative there. I, <laughs> I, I think it's just a delay until October makes sense, um, but I, I certainly wouldn't read a delay into October as they're actually going to play in October. Right, um, right. Yeah, I, I expect them to play in the spring.
0: Tim, so, what, are your, what are your thoughts on this, Tim?
1: I mean, I've come around on it a little. I found it strange initially that, you you know, you move up school to August 10th, but you're delaying football. But, I mean, they moved up school to August 10th, but they thought this would be a little bit more controlled at this point. That, that's why that happened to finish the semester. Look, if, if you get a month's worth of info to find out if you can play September 26th, I totally get it. And that's what it is. It's not a month's worth of info to start playing September 26th. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? I mean, it sounds better for fans to say, oh, it's going to start September 26th or October 3rd. But really, it's gathering info to see if you can start it at that time, Um, which would be unfortunate. Uh, I guess you would also, in terms of schedule, we'll get into this later, um, but do you automatically – then I assume if you're in accordance with the ACC and you pick up two more ACC games, you have just you're dumping Arkansas and Western Michigan, right? Because they were you're kind of canceling those games.
0: Yeah, and I think um, you know the ACC is certainly receptive to keeping some of their rivalries with the SEC, and that's mm-hmm. Florida State with Florida, Clemson with South Carolina, Georgia Tech with Georgia, Kentucky, Louisville. Uh, as well so I think that helped that sets things up for Notre Dame to have a plus one into the situation and again depending upon we don't know how many games that the ACC is going to allow Notre Dame to play ACC teams they currently have six of course do they bump that up to eight do do they have the same number as the other ACC teams we don't I don't know that haven't heard about that yet
1: that's what I was trying to articulate there I think if I think the ACC would want Notre Dame to play at least two more ACC teams mm-hmm. if they're in accordance with the ACC scheduling plan, you know, because that helps. I mean, it helps the ACC if Notre Dame plays two more ACC teams. Um, and I assume Notre Dame's plus one no matter what is Navy at this point. That's why Ooh. I assume the other it, games are gone.
2: Yeah, maybe they'll play. I don't know what Navy's end of – I haven't looked over Navy's schedule who they have on November 28th, but, you know, maybe that's – yeah. That was the is one there team. West drift, uh, Marriott property yeah. in
1: Annapolis. I'm, I'm exactly. not sure. That was the one team who we didn't need to look at the entire time. Cause you just figured, well, we will start with Navy. And now we have to start looking at Navy too. Yeah.
0: There may be a West drift in Annapolis, but there ain't no damn Pacific ocean. So no, no, no. That that is, that's, true. <laughs>
1: that's,
0: that, that's not happening for O'Malley there, but that, <laughs> anyway, I mean, I think it's fair to say that the next time we hear something about this, um, now, again, now it, it, my point, what I was going to say is that the ACC and Notre Dame will start a little bit later. That doesn't mean that the SEC is going to start later. I mean, we, we theoretically, we could have college football on September 5th with the SEC or, I don't know, another conference. SEC probably being the most likely to want to play and to push forward and try to play. But we can have college football for several weeks before we actually get into conference play with the ACC or, or – uh, I don't know what the Big Twelve and what what the other ones are doing exactly. I'll cover Hopefully Vanderbilt. Reality, couldn't Notre
2: Dame just play Navy? Like, do they have to follow follow in line with what the ACC says?
0: I don't. I don't know. I I, I don't know. Uh, you know, that's that's where you have this very very unusual partnership. But that, so then, do they stick to a schedule similar to the ACC? Uh, if do they want if to that play information Navy? is a. Uh,
1: yeah, I early no, early. Do they want to play Navy and be a, one of the test cases out there? I guess it's a road game, so it doesn't affect the uh, South Bend or the excuse me, the Notre Dame student body and all that much. But, um, well, I, he, I would think he doesn't want to play that early.
0: Well, Pete, when when would you say they would play Navy? The, the originally I mean, the September 5th, 6th weekend.
2: Yeah, I'm Man. saying if.
0: Well, Swarbrick doesn't want that. I mean, he's, not he's not come not out bad. and said now that he, he, you know, is in favor of a delay.
2: Yeah, I mean, I get that. I'm um, just saying, like, it, it's something I would consider. Like, if the students come back and your test cases of coronavirus are low to the point that your team is healthy, like, talking to Brian Kelly last week, I certainly got the sense that he expects, one, Notre Dame to be ready to start training camp, um, that there there won't be a hiccup with that. And he feels like Notre Dame is disciplined enough as a a football program to make it to the start line of the of the season itself which means the September 5th 6th weekend after that who knows um I I guess I just wonder like how long can you keep going with preparing for Navy like how late could you pull the plug on the Navy game I guess is sort of what I'm
0: yeah talking. I don't know and I don't you know like you're talking about uh, the students come did you guys say August 10th is that correct no. That's so you need a couple of weeks to be able to evaluate that. Well, you can't wait till August 24th to determine whether you're going to play September
1: 5th. I can you?
2: I, I guess I, you could, right? I I mean, they are this
1: year, though, right? Because they're, they're evaluating every week, 72 hours before the games.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean you, probably could, you could probably something. go the, the, I don't know, the week of the game. I mean, because it, it, I sort of look at it as like, what's the difference? Um, if you you're going to prepare and practice and do your camp as long as you can, and if you have to pull the plug on at the last minute, you have to pull the plug yeah. on at the last yeah. minute.
0: Yeah, and everybody's probably going to have to be that flexible throughout yeah. the entire season anyway. So, I don't know. It's it's yet another podcast where we're speculating about things, and we just have, you know, you try to take all the inf- information you have and try to make a best guess it,
1: guesstimate, it's but <laughs> you
0: just can't. I, you know, you just don't. You you can't answer all the questions.
1: I keep making the mistake one day make- to the next. I keep making the mistake of thinking September 26th has to be the start date instead of October 3rd because they play Wake Forest and it's an ACC game, as if that matters before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nothing to do with anything. Anyway. No- I mean,
0: September 26th was the date that was floated my way. If that's yeah. the exact date, as you said, Pete, first weekend of October, yeah. maybe, maybe that's what it is. We're dealing with so many things that are just unknown. Pete, I did want you to uh, talk about the – the most important points you think that you dealt with in talking to Brian Kelly, in addition to what you've already said, and then, and then Clark Lee as well.
2: You know, I thought that, I mean, Brian Kelly was really upbeat about sort of the roster discipline that he's had and making that, you know, sort of like making the best of the situation that they've got. Um, you know, I sort of took him at his word that, you know, he felt comfortable about the way things were going. Um, You know, we did, we talked a little bit about recruiting as well. Um, You know, I talked to Brian Polian last week as well. And it's like sort of, you know, we don't get a mulligan on this. Um, You know, recruiting is a struggle, but, um, you know, I I think overall Brian Kelly felt like the program was in a good spot. Um, And I thought, you know, maybe the most interesting thing is he articulated something that we all sort of know, but I think coaches are, uh, maybe reluctant to come out and say because it, it sounds like you're slamming somebody else. Like it's going to be a test of discipline to play this fall, and if you're disciplined, you can probably play. And if you're not, you you may have up like Clemson or LSU or Kansas or you know Michigan State just shut down Ohio State. Just, like if you don't have a handle on your roster, like it's going to be real obvious in a way that it has never been before. Uh, and I think overall Notre Dame has a really good handle on its roster.
0: I just wrote, actually, I, I just wrote that in my Thursday column, Pete, similar to that, that, you know, again, Notre Dame's responsibility and accountability. They've now had 356 tests, and two positive tests. You know, Notre Dame can be as disciplined as they want to be, but if their opponents aren't,
2: yeah,
0: you know, then you're going to have a hard time playing football games. And
2: those- uh, you know, he, he referenced Dave Lawson Wake Forest head coach mapping on a spring schedule. Yes. Um, which I thought was interesting. Did he give
0: you the details of that? I thought that um, was an just interesting. That,
2: just that it would work. We didn't really talk of the details about okay. it. Uh, apparently, Matt Fortuna, uh, who you guys know, got on with Dave and Was like he said, "What?" Like apparently, that wasn't really supposed to be revealed that way. Oh, um, okay. So, <laughs> as but it was you know it was workable. I, I think that the the more coaches come around to like, yes, yeah, spring a spring season can work the more likely it is. I know I realize administrators who are like balancing budgets don't want to go there right now, but yeah. there's, you, if you're not planning for a spring schedule, both from like coaching perspective and an administrator perspective, I just don't think you're doing justice to your, your school or your program.
1: Well, I think you have to focus on playing first though. Right. I mean, I think Jack Swarbrick needs to probably get working on the spring schedule, but Brian Kelly has to prepare him for in case they do play. Yeah. And it's got to be number
2: one. I didn't put this to Kelly directly, but like, even if he knows they're not playing in the fall, which he might. Um, right. Right, if, right. You, if you're trying to keep your team prepared, I think taking that carrot away right now doesn't make a whole lot of strategic no, sense. It does not. It's the same yeah. thing at
1: Irish Illustrated, for crying out loud. Yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> I, I talked to Mike Golick uh, early this week or late last week. I don't remember now. and And he had heard you know my goal of getting the, the the new job the drive hour for ESPN radio so obviously he has he has a lot of connections in, in the business and he felt strongly like they were pushing towards a spring uh, schedule wow. now Jack Swarbrick said you know he really hasn't turned total attention to it and I get it in, in accordance with what you're saying Tim you've got to exhaust all avenues yeah to see if you can try to get this in and we've got questions in the second segment where people you know they question every decision being made. I yeah you know, I, I turn around. What would you do? What I mean, what would you do if you you're just going to throw your hands up and say we can't do it? I yeah I think you have to put yourself in the position of these athletic administrators, and first of all realize what an impossible job they have on their hands right now, coming to conclusions without any real answers.
2: And I think delaying when, is the thing that certainly makes the most sense. Now
0: it does. Like, yes. Now
1: so it does. You, yeah.
2: I mean, even how other sports have handled like tangentially like European soccer or Korean baseball. Now, now it's opening day, major league NFL is going to come back in a couple weeks. NBA is coming back at the end of the month NHL is coming back. There's certainly a lot to be learned from that. If you're college football, you know, it's not apples to apples. I think Brian Kelly said this on Dan Patrick's show, like we're in a bubble now. And then the season starts right. and we move out of it. These other teams move into a bubble and then start the season. It's like, you know, the exact opposite. So it's, I, I am very concerned that, you know, Notre Dame's sterling record of negative tests will blow up once students come back, just, just based on the amount of people in small spaces interacting with each other and being college. And I think that's going to happen everywhere. And I don't, I don't know what the threshold is for, well, we had 10 positive tests this time. Is that it? Like, do you pull the plug on that? Is it five? Is it 50? I don't know. Um, but I think that's, that's a serious yeah. serious concern.
0: I, I think you can be extremely accountable, which the Notre Dame players are, and still have a bunch of positive tests once the students come back.
1: Well, the issue then yeah. is you're also quarantining, what, three, four, five people from for contract tracing after someone has a positive test, yeah. right? That's, that's the thing. 10 positive tests is about 40 people. Yeah. Yeah. That you, you have know, to set aside. And so we you, need, I wrote,
0: I wrote this last week. I mean, we, we as college football, I, us tangentially being part of it, man, do we as college football need these other sports to start and see them be able to play some games and have some success health wise, you know, and make it, you know, pre- present the image that, hey, man, maybe we can, maybe this can happen. Yeah. At the end of the day, that that you know that that's not necessarily going to be enough on its own, but I think it would make all of college football feel a lot better if they saw these pro
1: starts start, uh, start up again, and and have some success. I think it only makes you feel better though, because as Pete said, there's eight thousand students coming
2: to campus. Yeah. No, there's no doubt. There's that no
1: there. 8,000 people going to the NBA yeah. bubble. You know, it's like right. they're already in there and there's 25,000 There aren't
2: thousand people in the NBA bubble,
1: right? There's 25,000 people going to Arkansas. There's whatever going to Madison. I mean, it's, it's a lot of students that are going to come join the fray and now you're making me depressed and I don't want to talk about anywhere. All right.
0: Pete, <laughs> give us a a, 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 bridged recap of your uh, conversation with Clark Lee, if you would, please.
2: Uh, well, so I want to have him on the podcast for a while. Um, just because, I mean, you guys know he's an interesting guy to have a conversation with, um, whether that's about football or coaching or just sort of life in general. Um, you know, I thought that you know, he was kind of one of those guys that saves motivational uh, bits. You know, he mentioned something from 10 years old uh, when he was at a basketball camp with Don Meyer um, about, like, know the feeling of a, an all-out effort, and that really has stuck with him. 30 years later yeah. 25 years later I thought that was pretty cool um you know we didn't talk a whole lot about the, this year's defense other than like yeah you got to reinvent it a little bit um, yeah you yeah, did that, add- that goes back to something you know you mentioned Brian Kelly is an interesting comment like I thought the biggest question about the defense was the secondary just because like there's so much communication and moving parts and you need like six or seven guys to play and he's like I don't know the pass rush man that's uh that's sort of my big concern um so you know how how Lee invent reinvents that will be interesting um you know and then I asked him sort of how Notre Dame has sort of re readjusted his view of coaching and you know it's like it sounds like it's an industry that can make you pretty cynical that like what's the best way to cut a corner um and Notre Dame sort of restored your faith that like Eh, you don't need to actually view college coaching that way, that like you can do it the right way.
0: Some of our readers thought that the most important question for you to ask was about linebacker recruiting.
2: I <laughs> Actually, I wanted to talk about that, um, <laughs> but it was just like a really weird shoehorn topic into like some major. I mean, class and now you want to talk about how to make a cheeseburger. Like As, what? Just, like, right.
0: As someone in the business with you, I understood why you didn't ask the question. Yeah. Now I, want, right? I
2: wanted to talk to him about it. And like in the sort of, when Matt and I sort of wrapped up the interview and then sort of, we had our reaction to the interview. That was a topic that we talked about. Cause like, I mean, you guys get the same questions we do. It's like Clark Lee coach and waiting could be a head coach at Notre Dame. I think so many reasons the answer would be yes. But recruiting is one. I'm just sort of like, I don't know. I mean, if, if, if a head coach in 2020 has to be the head coach of culture, Clark Lee would be awesome. If he also has to be the head coach of recruiting, I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm not sure I have an answer for that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that Clark Lee's not a good recruiter, but I, his personality is different. I mean, he's not mm-hmm. the kind of guy It's not going to be fire and brimstone on the recruiting trail with him. That's just not, that's not who he is. I think he can be a good recruiting head coach but it's not going to be with a type of emotion I think that a lot of people uh you know probably not like Mike Mickens coaches and and uh and recruits uh Chance Tucker I want to finish this segment with Chance Tucker's uh verbal commitment to Notre Dame three-star pretty skimpy offer list I really like what Notre Dame is doing on the recruiting trail with defensive backs. Can't say that necessarily about a lot of positions,
2: but that's definitely one of them. Uh, if you're a corner and Washington wanted you, then that's fine with me. No, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, would, that would be my full evaluation of Chance Tucker, that Washington wanted him, and he plays a position that Washington evaluates and develops pretty much better than anybody in the country.
0: Along with Ohio State. Well, yeah, I mean, Ohio State can
2: take a five-star and make them a five-star. Washington can take all sorts of different <laughs> I, prospects. I got you. <laughs> I got you.
0: Now, Tim, you got some three-star stats, but I but, but before you say them, I do want to say that I think there's a good chance that Barnes. chance. Yeah, yeah. Bar- well, Barnes probably. Barnes probably more likely being elevated to a four. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I we get into three and four-star, and I probably right. do it too much. But I do think, you know, it's a phrase I use often. I think Tucker and, and Barnes, clearly have four-star qualities and can play at a very, very
1: high level. Yeah, I do too. You know, every once in a while we look at the rating to say they might be sleepers, but I like these sleepers. That doesn't always work out, of course, because we do that with pass rushers in the past, and it wasn't until 2016 that they finally started hitting on these sleepers at pass rusher. (laughs) But you just name the three stars at corner. It's it's not quite as sobering as when Pete did it for the offensive line a Mm -hmm. couple weeks ago. But, I mean, it, it kind of is. If you, if you think of these are the three stars that have come in, and there's one or two names that really stick out in one-move positions. It's Spencer Boyd, Lowood, Ashton White, Nick Coleman, who ended up being a good developmental senior, but he had his you know he had some rough spots there that didn't help Notre Dame. Jalen Brown, Josh Atkinson, Matthias Farley, who they converted, and that, that is relevant because you don't always draft a guy for the position. Devin Butler, Rashad Kinlaw, Julian Love, a little different. Noah Boykin, Tariq Bracy, and DJ Brown. So Bracey is a hit, uh, and then of course the new guys. You can't you can't judge uh, Wallace, Rutherford, Hart, Offered, Clarence Lewis yet. But we have no idea. But that's that's a lot of three stars that just came in too in the last two years, plus three more. Um, and to be fair, Bennett Jackson became a great corner. It was a three star right. player. Um, it if you're a borderline, I think guy like Love. I mean, Tim. At no point did you ever consider Julian Love a three star player. You know, like. I don't think you would say at no point with some of the newer guys, could they be three-star players? You could say the upside is much higher than a three-star player. But it's like other things. If you collect six, and they've collected eight in the last three cycles, the redshirt freshmen right now that have never played, there's three of them. There's two that are coming in now because Barnelson obviously is gone. And there's three more. Um, well, one's a four-star, Philip Riley you're going to get some hits there. The problem is, is when you get a three-star as your quarterback in that class and you pray he is Julian Love or at least Tariq Bracey, you know, that's if if there are three Tariq Bracey's in that class, You'd be looking good right now, but right. there's one well, guy the, left.
0: The, they're certainly creating, at the very least, they're creating a, a margin for error that they yeah. haven't always had.
1: And you really need it at that position because yeah. that, it's a transfer-heavy it's a, it's a transfer position for some reason. If you notice the names I read, it just occurred to me when I was reading those names off, it's like so many guys did not end up staying at Notre Dame. It might be because of competition. You get pushed out by other guys. But it's, I, I think it's probably an injury attrition position we don't think about enough because you really can't play hurt in that position. <laughs> That's the last spot, actually. You ever want anybody to be playing hurt is cornerback. Um, so yeah, it's a numbers game, and it's always better to have a bunch of four stars and three stars. But they, I, as I said before, and I think you agree, these three stars look pretty good right now.
0: Okay, my dog is telling me he needs to go outside. That's the end of segment <laughs> one. We'll be back with segment <laughs> two in a minute.
2: Before history is written. Bobby Orr. It's played.
0: Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Segment two of Irish Show Straight Insider burning up the board, so we start with a question from MMB4. With your collective player profiles, your thoughts on the three cornerback commitments as a group?
2: I mean, it's, O'Malley and I were sort of talking this on the break. Like the, I think the fits are better uh, than a lot of the ones that they've signed over the last ten years. So, I think to answer the like, why is it such a high transfer um, position? It's because you're not finding a lot of guys from the Midwest, or and you're not finding a lot of guys from private schools. But I think that this group uh chance tucker in particular but i think ryan barnes both his parents are in education um i think philip riley is more of a military background like there's there's some good markers along the way that would make you think that um one i like the evaluation of mike mickens but also that from a fit perspective they did a good job
1: also i think it's fair to say if you just look back at some of those names we weren't over-the-top happy, even though it's, you can sound smart now in retrospect. But they didn't, when they signed Kinlaw and Butler, there was nobody saying, yeah, this is going to work. I mean, they just no. stole two athletes. They're going to be great corners. It was kind of like, oh, well, let's see what happens here. And, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people agree that Philip Riley was a really important signing. Um, it came at the wrong time for Notre Dame fans because that was the one on the heels of Shipley. But uh, him has been – you've been steadfast in saying that Barnes will probably move up to four-star, right?
0: Yeah, I I really believe that. I, I he jumped off the film to me, and Philip Riley is a. I mean, he's an accomplished football player. What I like about what I like about what they've done back there in recruiting is the length. Yeah, yeah of those guys. I mean, you don't you're not you're not normally talking about six one six two corners, and I'm not sure exactly. I mean, I think I wrote about this today in Thursday thoughts. It'll come out later this afternoon. But Philip Riley's definitely a corner. Um. Uh, you know, and Justin Walters is definitely a safety, but i think I think you have flexibility with Barnes and Tucker. Um, Henderson I re- in
1: last cycle pardon me Ramon Henderson in the last cycle too you'd have right right yeah.
0: right so they're i mean they're building some depth there, and I like the length and i, I just I like the potential of them I think they're they'rephys- as a whole they're physical um they can press tucker can press I, I think Tucker can play safety. Uh, but he's got great makeup speed too. So I don't know. I, th- I think sometimes at this stage of the process, it's a little difficult to to figure out exactly who fits where. But when you have that kind of length and athletic ability and toughness and physicality, I, I really think that whether this is all Mike Mickens or this is going to happen anyway, I'd like to. I, I, I believe that it. A lot of it has to do with Mike Mickens. Uh, they are really we'll have some other questions about some other positions here but they're really
1: headed in the right se- uh, direction in secondary speaking of which Wash ND how would you grade the 2021 recruiting so far in the following areas and he has some interesting areas he decided to pull out running back <laughs> wide receiver <laughs> offensive line and linebacker yeah he just picked
0: those out of a hat right yeah, i think so right, <laughs> well they don't have any running backs and linebackers so i mean we know we know where the the grade goes there they have one wide receiver they had two they lost colsey could they get him back maybe it's probably just going to be lorenzo styles junior he's a smaller receiver and then the offensive line if you it, i think we do this every two weeks or however you know how much time in between our podcasts but if you get rocco spindler and you team him up with blake fisher i mean that's a that's a tremendous one two punch i love the potential of of joe alt and i look at pat Coogan as kind of a uh, Mike Golick Jr. type right, developmental, you know, real de- de- developmental technician does a lot of things right um, fundamentally, but has a ways to go, you know, as a as a complete football player.
2: So you, have, Miley- you have grades? Are we putting letters on these or no?
0: Grades? Yeah. What on each? Oh, on each position? Yes. Well, F's, I guess, for running back <laughs> and linebacker yeah. for now. Yeah. Uh, wide receiver would be C. Lorenzo Styles is a good receiver. And offensive line, I mean, I think they're, you know, if you get Spindler, I don't, you know, I don't know exactly. What, also, also a project, but I think he's going to be a good football player. He's got all the tools.
2: Yeah, I feel about. I mean, it's like running back is an F right now. Receiver a C. Oh, well, for offensive line with Spindler, I think would be a B plus. Yeah. And then linebacker, if they got Kali, I guess I'd probably give that a B just based on the numbers they have at the position. Um,
1: Maybe on last year, got a lower I have to drop linebacker because of not having one last year, if that makes – to be honest about it. I mean, it's it's not like the, when they didn't have corners between 17 and 18, really. Yeah. Um, they have a lot of guys that are young, up-and-coming linebackers. Doesn't mean they're all going to hit. If two of them don't, that we think will, that puts linebacker in a little bit of trouble in 2022. Um, the one issue I have with offensive line is I don't think – Notre Dame should be in a position where they need Rocco Spindler to get to a B plus in the class because he's an A player, right? I mean, he's an A player. Yep. And he's only bringing you up to B plus. They should have a better offensive line class than they have now. If yeah, you get Rocco Spindler, big, you can tell me you I'm wrong. You can't
2: grade offensive line without looking at the guys that they were in on that didn't get like the Lang Tengwells, Nolan Rucci, like My, My, Wyatt Milam. I love. Yeah, there just there there were too many elite guys out there that they. They just didn't, yeah, didn't close on.
1: Um, yeah,
2: which but you know, if, class, if you, I never would have thought that.
0: If you get Fisher and Spindler, you got two elite
1: guys. Right, right. It's when you. Yeah. When it's, you know, as of it's, now. It's hey, they're putting too much of one guy when they get him, It's like oh, they got their guy, which <laughs> is like
2: so Notre Dame two elite guys on the offensive line. It's a B plus kind of class. True, true.
1: Yes. Andy uh, sushi. Oh, same same, uh, same topic, kind of. Andy Sushi. Mike Mickens has had a high hit rate relative to his recruiting targets. What might explain this success?
0: I would like to start with some of the things that I've written about him, said by Clark Lee and Mike Denbrock, uh, you know, just to explain what kind of person we're dealing with. Denbrock said, and I know this isn't, this doesn't all correlate necessarily with recruiting, but I think there's a carryover. Denbrock said, talent developer, who coached with an edge, holds his players accountable, definitely a developer of talent. He's on top of it, meaning he's, a you know, ahead of the game all the time, whether he's coaching or recruiting. Uh, Clark Lee said, um, a technical coach, chip on his shoulder guy, authentic, lets personality bleed into the unit. I mean, I think a lot of these qualities carry – not to mention a guy that's, a, I'm sure, a very, very – he's a very aggressive coach. I'm sure he's a very – takes a very aggressive approach in talking with recruits, talking positive, positively with them. And Kevin Sinclair put yeah. out a piece uh, today, his midweek report, um, just about how – what the players said about him and how thorough he is in explaining to them exactly how he – figures that he will use them if they choose to come to Notre Dame.
1: I like that piece because I would have thought that that is the general approach, but clearly it's not, right? I would think you would really want to know how you're going to be used by your coordinator by your position coach and coordinator. Maybe he Notre just Day, explains
0: but, it better than us. Yeah,
1: well that that's a great quality. That that is a fantastic quality in a teacher is when you can explain things better than other people.
2: I just think he's aggressive. Like they have an aggressive recruiter as, as a corners coach now and they didn't before. I mean, it's a big and like I think when you can put the puzzle together on the defensive side with Elston, Lee, Joseph, and Mickens, with sort of like pulling and, you know, kind of working this, the, the overall picture, like that's a good group on that side. Um, I think, you know, and, and defensively, they basically took their worst recruiter and re- replaced them with maybe their best. Um, and I think you're seeing dividends real quickly there.
0: Question from uh, the underscore real underscore Bob Nas. Even with the scheduling difficulties, scheduling an FCS team is still out of the question,
2: right? Too. there's just too many options to have to go there. You know, it's like all these – no, like if the Mac says we're doing conference only and Notre Dame's like, hey, Western Michigan, we'd still like to play. They're going to be like, great, we'll be there. What time? You want to play on a Tuesday morning? We're there. Um, it just – I don't see how why Notre Dame would end up in the FCS, uh, In all the uncertainty of this Notre Dame playing an FCS school just doesn't makes doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Yeah, I want to liken this to uh, Jerry Seinfeld renting a car. It is very easy for Notre Dame to schedule a team to play them right now. Anybody they they say let's play Miami. Miami's like yeah, let's go. Arkansas, come on up. We will be there. The problem is holding that game. You can schedule that game. All they want, but they have to keep that game. you got to hold the
0: reservation. you got to
1: hold the reservation of that game, and it is out of their control. They have no scheduling difficulties other than the holding of the particular game, yeah, I, if it will I, be played or not.
0: I imagine if they were looking at a 12-game schedule, it might be a little bit more difficult, but if you're looking at eight to 10 games with, with the association, with the ACC, they really don't need to, to schedule
1: an FCS team this year. But I think Pete's right. Western Michigan and Arkansas, they show up whenever you want them to play sure. i mean they're, sure. they're they're more than happy to play notre dame. yeah i just i mean also
2: that the fcs is like it costs money it costs notre dame money to play an fcs school and they're not really making much on the back end because no one's buying a ticket to the game so economically i'm not sure that makes a whole lot of sense either
1: but that probably applies to western michigan too i guess if we're yeah gonna go i mean that if right, we're playing western it. michigan doesn't make any sense <laughs> <for Notre Dame. laughs> no, no, no. air pirate 73 is it possible for notre dame to replace the three lost games with three other opponents? It gives examples that are logical of Miami, Florida State, and BC, and still have a full twelve-game schedule. Even if conference-only schools play a ten-game schedule,
0: they're not going to do it. I mean, I understand the question. I they're not going to do it. They're it's too. They're going to have a hard enough time getting eight to ten games in, let alone twelve. Plus, I'm a, you know, I mean, ACC. I think is kind of bending over. I don't know, bending over backwards, but I mean, ACC is going to lengths to make sure that Notre Dame. Gets what they need schedule wise, and then so what you're gonna, you're gonna take that and say, okay, well, we're gonna go ahead and schedule all these other games. And too, I, I, I don't know if that's necessarily a good point or not, but I, they're not I going think, to play 12. I, I don't think anybody's going no. to try that. And I, I don't look, I wouldn't put anything past the SEC trying to play more games, but beyond that, I, I just I don't see it
1: to be. And I don't want to put it all on him, but I don't think Jack Swarbrick has any interest in playing 12 games this fall.
2: No, Otherwise, I mean, would. if want he wants to him, start right? late, then no, yeah. he doesn't.
1: Right. And I, he's been saying that since May. Not that I want to start late, but we probably won't have a full schedule. Ten games would be fine. That gives us a competitive schedule. That was in the wake of everybody could be playing 12. We could play 10. It won't hurt us, you know, back when no one knew what the heck was going on. And it was. But he was kind of on it early that there won't be 12 games.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the ACC, like, could give Notre Dame more games than it wants in some ways. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like as I, I'm sure Notre Dame would prefer to keep the Navy game and ACC be like, hey, we actually need you to play Miami, Florida State, and Boston College instead. So I, I don't know how that's going to work. I, as Brian Kelly said when I talked to him, our phone's ringing off the hook. It's on like the last of my concerns is us having enough teams to play.
0: And, and you know, I mean, I, I have a quote from Jack Swarbrick, I believe, as early as March when he said he has complete confidence the Notre Dame, they're usually the word he used was robust, that they would have a robust schedule. And I, you know, and and a lot of that had to do with knowing full well that he had a partnership with the ACC that they were going to be able to yeah. fully tap into. Question from Denver Maximus, with the high likelihood of a truncated season or no season at all, is it worth pushing things to start if there is a high probability of the season being stopped after a few games? Is it really college football with all without all the game day pageantry
1: this year it is because America would love college football without the game day pageantry this year. I think if college football stops having game day pageantry in the future, it would be not college football anymore, but people want anything they can get this year. I greatly underestimated back in March when I figured this would be over, (laughs) how desperately people would want to be. I think you, you guys corrected me once on this podcast that, and I had some students tweet me like, Tim, you don't understand when you're saying part of the process, of going to the Notre Dame game as partying with your friends and being in the stands, we would love to be in stands social distance right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's probably right. I missed out on that. They don't, you don't need anything but to play this year. It, it's worth trying. It is definitely worth trying to try to play football this year. Assuming health can allow you to start.
2: Yeah. Pageantry. I, I'm going to take a pause on pageantry with college football this year. And I think we all we all should. Like, it's I, definitely college football without a marching band this year.
0: Yeah, pageantry right. was out the window months ago. I mean, we've known for months that there weren't going to be full stands. So. I get
1: his point. If, yeah, you know, no, I know if everything changes I, forever, it's not the same thing. But that's not what we're looking at at this point. No,
0: no. But that's the least – got to find a way, man, to play football games. Yeah. That is the only and, – and keep healthy. That's the only thing that really matters right now. Uh question from – W. Jason P. I need you guys to explain to me the dynamics slash rationale postponing the season. Why? What does it accomplish? Are they prepared to postpone again if the same situation exists in the spring? He's using postpone delay. Maybe the, is the more. Yeah. I, I mean, a word here uh, for what he's saying.
2: Yeah. I think that we we talked about this already. It's the, the reason to postpone is so you figure out what happens when your campus has a huge amount of influx of students who may or may not socially distance on the weekends or just during the day and your players are interacting with them. Some of them are living in the same dorm rooms or the same dorm halls with them. You know, the situation Brian Kelly brought up is like, let's say you have a player whose roommate gets infected or someone in their floor gets infected. They have to quarantine. They have to quarantine. Um, or sort of self-isolate. Like, they're out that week. It doesn't have anything to do with the football program in terms of how it happened, but it has everything to do with it in terms of what, you know, their availability. So I think you want to get a few few weeks of, like, is this going to work or not? Um, So that's what it accomplished. And are they prepared to postpone again if the same situation exists in the spring? Yeah. I mean, that's just... They're not, like... Notre Dame and like college athletics is not in control of the coronavirus. It's the other way around. Um, so that's I think it's just an accommodation everyone's going to have to make.
0: Yeah, and a lot of people are mad at people for what's happening in college football, and I don't know how you blame people for doing everything they possibly can to try to salvage it. There are two sides of this. I mean, there's this question, and there are other people saying, "Well, why don't they just? They should just start on time." It it all has a lot to do with the next question that I'm going to incorporate here from Terry Benedict. And that is in all your years of covering Norton football, did you ever think you would receive so much political advice from the experts on your message board? And I think that that's why I'm tying that in with the previous question, because I think that's what we're dealing with because you have people on one side, people on the other side of the aisle, I guess we could say people on one side of the aisle and the other side of the aisle. And some people, Don't think that the coronavirus is real and others are suggesting why would they even start? Because they're going to have to
2: stop. Yes, I agree with what you're saying. It's, um, I think when college football doesn't start on time and when our kids don't go back to school on time or they're wearing masks, like, I think people are going to be like a lot more aware that this is real. Um, the effect it's having on the country. i yeah, I, I guess I i never thought that people would think that we'd be, we'd get to a point where there would be a section of the population that thought sports writers didn't want sports to happen. <laughs> like, it's the stupidest thing I have experienced in social media and I've experienced many stupid things. Like, I just don't get that at all. Like, I would love there to be a college football season. I also don't think it's a great idea that if starts on september 5th or september 6th like it would be great if it did but you got to see how this next month goes there are
1: five elements of life i do not take advice on from anyone number one is religion number two is politics number three is betting number four is when to go for two in the second half and i wish some people would take my advice on that and the other one is when to foul down late in a basketball game and they are all even Right below, actually, number one of when to go for two. Never take advice from anybody because they're all wrong. Everyone's always wrong about that, except for me and Tim and Pete and Jack. We sit there and we're like, what are you doing? Everybody looks over. Well, no, they might be able to do that. No, no, it's not that way. Don't look at your stupid chart. Just get it done.
0: Yeah, that chart That <laughs> chart either needs to be burnt or, or redone, especially as it pertains to two-point conversions, which... Lou Samoji and I, <laughs> yeah, and, I yeah, Lou,
1: and Lou is we right. Too. Lou to, is with you. Lou is yeah, next to you. on we the don't other side.
0: We've, we've we formed that idea many, many years ago. And we don't, we don't even have to say anything to each other. We'll catch each other's eyes when we know, okay, it's one of those situations.
1: Yeah. What game was it? <laughs> and last we know year? what they should do. Oh, it was two years ago. It was the pit game and they ended up winning by five. And you guys both looked at everybody else in the press box. are like, see, they should be up by more. <laughs> <right now." laughs> yeah. I just anyway, think
0: exactly. last thing on this. And, and I think we've done a tremendous job of, Staying out of the politics, but the the, the people that want to blame—I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast. I talk about so many different things to so many different people, but I, I love Bom- Bomani Jones, but I completely disagree with him on this. And then Paul Feinbaum, who I've disagreed with since he said Gordy Lockbaum should win the Heisman Trophy over Tim Brown 33 years ago. I wrote about it 33 years ago. Uh You know, it's like they they want the people in the media and the sports media that want athletic directors and conference commissioners to throw their hands up in the air and say, that's it, we're done. We can't do it to make that decision. They want that decision the first week of July. I mean, have you ever put yourself in the position of these people that are running this billion dollar industry and you have an easy solution and you want them to say, we give up in July? Have you ever led any group of people in your entire life? You you couldn't possibly have ever been in that situation if you can if you if you don't have some clarity in looking that, at that situation. Okay, I'm done with that. All right, two questions. This kind of is person. Yes, uh, two questions. I'm I'm going to tie in together here again. R. Dun R. Dunley. If the season gets pushed back to the spring, there will be some players like Trevor Lawrence that will not play due to draft status. However, I cannot think of any Notre Dame players that would be in that position. Are there players that I am not thinking about that would likely not play in the spring? And then Matt Rogers asked, if the season gets moved to the spring, would Ian Book stick around?
2: I'm sure Notre Dame would have players that would think about it. Um, you know, if you're Liam Eikenberg, yeah. um, would have, you'd have to have a real conversation with people about that. You know, maybe if you're Jeremiah usu Koromoa, you would think about it.
1: Yeah, it's he'd test really well, like better than we even think,
2: you know, because
1: yeah. we think he'll test well, but maybe he'll test great.
2: Yeah, I just, you know, if you're Ian Book, less so. I mean, I, I don't think he's in a hurry to get out of here, um, but I don't, I don't think any of that should lead to like, getting to Tyler Buckner's throwing motion is like way down the list of <laughs> concerns on, on this topic. I,
0: I didn't, I actually didn't include that part of the question yet, so we'll get to that. In okay. a yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, I, I think Eikenberg and Wusu koromoa um, I mean, Book would consider it, but why? I, if he didn't, couldn't go pro last year, he can't go pro now because of it. Actually, he'd, have, he'd probably have a chance of being a Notre Dame legend if they play the spring season and Ian Book stays, and Notre Dame only loses Usu koromoa and Clemson loses 47 players in Trevor Lawrence. Right? Who, yeah. Who's beating Notre Dame if Clemson loses five defensive linemen, three linebackers, a corner, two wide receivers, Travis Etienne, a tackle, <laughs> and Trevor Lawrence? On this schedule, <laughs> it's, it behooves Book to stay at that point.
0: I, you know, I agree. I mean, Ian Book, Ian Book's got to he's got to prove that he can play in the NFL, so he's yeah. got to play, right? And yes. I agree with you guys on Awasu Kormo. I don't agree on Ikenberg. What, what is what does is Liam Ikenberg prove? He's other, he, other than other than he's got he's he he has great potential. He's got a great tackle body, but he hasn't played with any great consistency up to this point of his
1: career. Just the draft projections that don't matter have him. The second day guy. You know, that's a, you could decide yeah, to go when you're like, 22 years old. You know what I mean? It's one of those, I, he's been there a long time. Yeah. I would like
0: to see what the, see what the real draft projections sure, are sure. in him and your, your point taken. Usu Koromoa, I, I agree with you, Tim, that he would, he would go to a combine and, and really, really impress. So that, that might put him in a position, yeah. you know, Isaiah Simmons last year, if, if Isaiah Simmons was in a similar situation to yeah. this, this year, he, uh, although he would have, we would have missed out on those, absurd stats that he had his last year but uh uh, but point taken uh second part of the question from mats rogers was after reports of tyler buckner's throwing motion issues at the elite 11 please convince me that he's not phil jacovic (laughs) 2.0
2: i don't i mean i saw i never saw phil jacovic play high school game i saw tyler buckner play high school game i realized he was playing against like. Five foot 10, 160 pound kids. But I mean, it was, he was throwing screens, the arm angle, he could run it. I mean, I feel like Dracovic's highlights for the most part were bombs and runs. Um, There wasn't a lot of like intermediate type of stuff. I've seen Buckner actually throw that well. So I don't, I don't have concerns about it yet. Now it's going to be a weird situation like California. High school football isn't happening this fall. Tyler Buckner might not play another high school game. And similar to your point about Ian Book needing to play his way up, Tyler Buckner could get a lot better as a quarterback because he's not a finished product and not playing football in the fall is going to slow that process down.
0: And he's a guy, he's had fairly limited reps because of his injury as a freshman.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Some people have said that you know, it'd be best just to move on to Notre What does he have to prove on a high school level? Man, you need those reps. a lot. Yeah, the
1: yeah. reps would be the thing that he really needs. Um, yeah, as far
0: guess. as like, you know, convince me, please convince me. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be your counselor on this, uh, uh, <laughs> Matts Rogers. But and at the risk of saying something that would further anger the Jerkovic family, I think Tyler Butner is going to be much more mentally tough playing quarterback in notre
1: dame that phil jacobic was i hope we are at spring practice in march after notre dame plays 10 games this (laughs) fall and we see tyler buckner we go that looks pretty good he could use a little bit of work on that but he'll be great that's my goal in life to be (laughs) sitting there watching tyler buckner throwing after a completed football season that's where we are that's that's all little i ask for right now (laughs) such a bar you're (laughs) clearing there judge (laughs) arthur vandelay speaking of renting cars in Seinfeld who will make up Notre Dame's second string offensive line unit. I assume Josh Lugg is the sixth man in first guy off the bench at both tackler guard with either Grunhard or Carell as the backup center. What is an actual depth chart going to look like when it comes out?
0: You know,
2: I I have an off season nugget on this one. Oh, Um, nice.
0: Oh, you do go for it.
2: Yeah. That Quinn Carroll looks outstanding. Good. There's our answer Uh, at one of the tackle positions then. Yeah. So he, he's in there. Um, I was sort of uncertain about like that, how that recover is going, but yeah, my yeah, so was O'Malley. Just like killing it looks great.
0: Yep. O'Malley was kind of counting him out, and I was thinking, nah, I think it's too early to count him out. But he did just suffer as a as a 300-pounder suffering a torn ACL in August. There's no guarantee the following August. So that's good news. Yes. Getting to the question, certainly Lug is number six. I think I think John Dirksen is number seven, although he hasn't.
1: But just, at guard. Yeah. just, but at just guard, a guard. Yeah, just a guard. Just guard. Yeah.
0: Uh, Carroll would be number eight or maybe number seven hearing that good news from Pete, you know, after that, Ooh boy, I, you know, Christophic probably, uh, but I don't know, you know, I, he's, I think he's got a long way to go from what he showed them his first year. Um, I'd still have Grunhard listed
1: ahead of Corral. An actual depth chart is not a real depth chart anyway, but if he wants an actual depth chart, because the real depth chart is lug comes in as soon as somebody gets hurt, that's not center.
0: Yeah. And look, well, and Lug got, he, he's got some snaps. As,
1: yeah. probably. I bet they would trust Grunhard to do it. Probably. And, and if Carell beats out Grunhard, obviously Carell's good enough to do it. Um. So the real depth chart is about eight deep. What you just said, Tim, when, when right. you have maybe exactly. Carroll a center at Dirksen, and that might be straight. I mean, I think if Carroll looks great, they're going to play him this year because he needs to play. <laughs> so I think, I think Quinn Carroll will get some reps. Um, Josh Lug is just the best because he's so versatile. As mm. Tim, you're about to say. He can play center. He was playing center last spring when yeah. they didn't have centers. Um, he's so versatile. He is the guy in. Uh, you have to get a lot of – you have to get some multiple injuries to really, really harm Notre Dame's offensive line right now. It's, it's in good shape with what they have coming so, back. So,
0: so some combination of Lug, Dirksen, Christoffek, Grunhard slash Corral.
1: Corral, well, yeah. And uh, Carroll. And, and Carroll. So Carroll.
0: So yep. that would that would be that would you know- five.
2: We've, we've all been doing this forever. How often has Notre Dame actually had three backup offensive linemen they could put in the game?
0: Well, they rarely do it, so yeah. we don't really yeah, I, – I mean, I know what like,
2: I mean, we drive. want spring practice. The second yes. team comes in there, you're just like, whoa, um, it's it's not a good setup. Like, And that's that's okay. I mean, I don't think most teams have a full 10 offensive linemen they could play. Yeah, they probably have
1: eight, a full eight right now. You're right. And maybe nine with Dirksen, though. That's yeah. It. I mean, Dirk's we- has to prove that, of course. But yeah. And,
2: hey, it's worth noting last year they had two season-ending injuries on the offensive line, and they won every game after it. So right. that's that's rare. I mean, that that's kind of like an impressive side note to Notre Dame's winning streak down the
0: year. It is. Uh, the schedule down the stretch certainly oh, hell, but yeah. your point, point, point taken. Our final question comes from Wreckers33hot. With what you learned in interviews with Clark Lee, Pete, and us earlier in the spring, and considering Notre Dame is in a very different place than when Jack Swarbrick said the Notre Dame head coach must have head coaching experience, how would you feel about Lee being named head coach in waiting? Does Lee have the recruiting chops?
2: I, I mean, in general, I do not like head coach in waiting. It's super awkward. Um, it could work because you have a head coach who I, I think is, I don't want to say Brian Kelly is eager to retire, but... I don't, he's clearly not going to be like, I just want to coach forever. I'm drunk with power. Like, I think he wants to go do other stuff um, at some point. So with that in mind, I think it's, it's a conversation you could have. Um, I do think Notre Dame football owes it to itself to interview the best candidates for the job. Um, I would say Clark Lee would get an interview, but that's a lot different than saying, giving him the job without interviewing Matt Campbell, um, Scott, kinda, Satterfield. Scott Satterfield, guys, you know, co- like coaches like that. I mean, you know, I think Notre Dame would be doing a disservice to itself not to entertain Satterfield, Campbell, guys like that.
1: Completely agree. Um, if I were to just go through, think of the last three years and I give you the guys we always mention um, that could replace Brian Kelly, whether you, whether you agree with them or not, but these are the people that have always come up. Would you rather have Clark Lee as your coach-in-waiting or hire P.J. Fleck? Mm-hmm. Interview, interview P.J. Fleck and then he's a, a candidate. Luke Fickle, Matt Rule, because you can't use this year only. You know, like, think about the past.
2: Yeah,
1: Matt Campbell before the Camping World Bowl is maybe a little different than Matt Campbell <laughs> during the Camping World Bowl, but that's not fair. He didn't have good enough players. I mean, people would have been over backwards for Tom Herman three years ago to come to Notre yeah. Dame. Uh, what, right now, Scott Satterfield's the guy we all think would be great to come to Notre Dame. I was bummed when Justin Fuente went to Virginia tech when I thought someone like that could come to her name. and I'd much rather have Brian Kelly than Justin Fuente. So like, yeah, this, you're it, not. it's a strange world that, you know, what? guys prove themselves and don't and PJ Fleck might go somewhere else. You'd be like, "Woo, dodge that bullet. I just, you know, I just don't think PJ Fleck fits, but you what, get the, what, what, you get the what, theme what? there though. There's a theme of, no, good there's, there's no doubt. And I'm off. not
0: taking anything away from him, what he's accomplished. Yeah. Cause it's, it's phenomenal but I just don't know that that fits and works at Notre Dame. The problem in waiting on Satterfield is he could be with a traditional power in 2021.
1: Right. Right.
0: You know, I mean, so you go down the lo- the list of traditional powers that continue to struggle.
1: You he- might be finding the next Satterfield, you know, that might be what you have to do because a couple of years ago. Satterfield was Tom Herman. Mm-hmm. Yes. Everyone yes. loved Tom Herman. Um,
0: you know, Clark Lee is a head coach in Notre Dame. I f- feel pretty good that they would be solid.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: I-, I feel very good. They would be solid because they would be disciplined and, and
1: they play good. They D. would be
0: fun. They would play <laughs> good. Yeah. D- and they
1: That's would be fundamentally right sound.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, the coach and waiting thing, how many times does that happen?
2: You know, Florida State, it happened. It was super awkward, yet at the end, they won a national championship. So, not terrible. Other than that, I don't know. Are there other examples? Well,
0: the, uh, Ohio State, Urban yeah. Meyer. Well, but did they name him?
2: That, that was – I think there, were, there's, there was reporting that they were discussing coach and winning, but they never named it with Ryan yeah. Day. Um, I do think, like, Ed Orgeron, Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley – um, I mean, all those examples are, are worth keeping in mind. If you're Kirby Smart, you throw in there too. Um, those are worth keeping in mind your Notre Dame is like, huh, well, these teams were, have been in the playoff and they hired a head coach with no head coaching yep. experience, or in the case of Orgeron, bad head coaching experience and it's worked out quite nicely. Davos Swinney would be in that group too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's work, but, it ha- I don't think it's worked often enough to feel confident that it just you know, boom, you just press a button and it's going to work for you. But I understand it. And Clark, we, Notre Dame can do a lot worse than Clark Lee because, as I said, they're they're going to be a sound. They're going to be a, they would be a sound football team under Clark
1: Lee. I understand it because fans like Clark Lee, reporters like Clark Lee, everyone that meets Clark Lee likes Clark Lee. So you <laughs> kind of root for the guy to get the Notre Dame head coaching job in that situation. But it doesn't mean he would be a better coach than Scott Satterfield, having never coached at that level. But yeah. you're right. Hey. You want to hold teams to 17 points all the time or 15 points? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's halfway to the win, right? <laughs> Hire him as the head coach, absolutely. All right, guys, uh,
0: we appreciate it. We appreciate everybody joining us here today for Irish Illustrated Insider. And we'll be back soon uh, for another Irish Illustrated Insider.
1: Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics.